0: right now we're recording the podcast and we were talking about this is a carryover from last week's episode on Sonny's burning we're kind of talking about some other stuff from that episode that we were just kind of expounding upon before recording so if you are stepping into the podcast welcome to jubilee street podcast a nick cave podcast that's right podcast is in the title twice (laughs) just kidding (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm here with my co-host, Ian McCurtis. Ian, why don't you say what hello up? to the guests? Uh, we have been having a spirited conversation about art, creativity, competition, Dr. Seuss, and we sort of landed back on talking about something from last week's birthday party episode on Sunny's Burning. So we thought we'd kind of just pick it up in media rest, as it were. Um, so... I don't know, somewhere in here, we'll plug the, n- the next song we're talking about after this.
1: Oh yeah, we're talking about Faint Heart.
0: For Faint
1: Heart. Oh, the song. That's right. We got a bunch of new listeners. So you would think Logic would say, you got a bunch of new listeners. Do a bunch of like big popular songs. We didn't do that. We did the birthday party. We go against week, the grain. And now this week, we're doing an even more obscure birthday party song. One of the most obscure. Because that's what we do. We like to shoot ourselves in the foot. So welcome new listeners. We were talking about. That's uh, all. The same stuff we were talking about last week, um, using offensive things to get a reaction out of people. Uh, in terms of the swastika on that birthday party cover, which leads me to a thought experiment I want to give to you, Jake. I don't think this stuff works anymore because irony, irony just doesn't work anymore. Everything's self-aware, you know, but. Mm-hmm. In the terms of the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And that era of punk, would Donald Trump be seen as like a punk icon?
0: 100%. I mean, that's clear by who he was friends with in the 90s. Like, how much, you know, even, I think even what would be considered old school hip hop, like, Tribe Called Quest, Snoop Dogg, you know, I mean, even, like, current rappers, like, I think Freddie Gibbs had a line in one of his songs about going to a Trump hotel, and Freddie, if you hear this, I'm sorry if that's not the case, I could have been thinking of another rapper, but the point I'm making is that... Freddie's listening. Freddie's listening. The Thought Experiment, yeah, I mean, I think anyone like him or any of his camp, even, like, it's weird, like, these... Republicans are kind of like heroes of their party now because, like, I guess there'd probably be some element to some fucked up person out there who's like, wow, your entire state's power shut down and you cared so little about anyone that you went and flew to Cancun to escort your family. You are such a badass. I want to be just like Ted Cruz when I when I grow up. You could there's probably a great punk song waiting to be written that's called I Left My Family in Cancun or I Left My I Left My State to go to Cancun and now the state's burning or it's frozen over or something.
1: I, I totally agree with pretty much everything you just said. I wanna maybe dial off a little bit of maybe how I came off last week. I'm not condoning that mentality of like fuck everything. We're just gonna stir the pot. If it causes destruction Who cares? We're just here to be agitators because Mm -hmm. that has led to a lot of problems we have right now, obviously. It's more so because punk rock has had such a positive influence on my life. I'm fascinated by that, like beginnings of it. And I find it, you know, it's just so crazy to me. And I love diving in on it, but it was not a good thing and there's a reason why that is not the punk rock that exists today because it wasn't it wasn't yeah. good so you know you yeah. had you had the sex pistols right in the very beginning and i mean the singer is a fucking trump supporter like it shouldn't surprise anyone and then you had the clash who was progressive you know at the forefront of, of progressive movements talking about politics yeah. talking about positive things there's a reason why mm-hmm. The Clash won out, and yeah. way more punk bands are influenced by that than they are the Sex Pistols, and why you hear The Clash everywhere you go in stores and whatnot, and The Sex Pistols are kind of just a, a one-hit-wonder kind of band.
0: Yeah, and there's something to be said that there was an element of punk in the 80s like that I think kind of ushered in bands like The Refused to kind of come in and, you know, turn everything on its head. And, you know, I think they were set up by bands like Minor Threat and um, the Dead Kennedys. And I'm sure there's some others because I'm still, I still feel like there's not a whole lot of the older punk bands that I'm as familiar with. But I think those bands sort of set up punk to be able to live in a Primarily, like social, socially aware, politically active space that carried through no, into right. the nineties.
1: It, it gave it legs to exist now. If punk was just the Sex Pistols and even the Birthday Party, it wouldn't last yeah. forty, fifty years because nothing and like that. There's not enough legs to stand on there.
0: To sort of tie this all together is you know at the core of this is a band called the Birthday Party who became. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, who, you know, I think Nick Cave has kind of transcended who he was in the Bad Seeds now, you know, partially due to the pandemic, but also due to the way that musicians morph and change throughout their life. And while I think that I, I believe that Nick Cave is the kind of person who doesn't have m- very many moments where he sits down at the edge of his bed and he puts his head in his hands and he's like, I can't believe I put a record out with a swastika on the cover or even hinted at it. I do, I do, I, I feel like he probably maybe wouldn't have done that again. He hasn't done that again. And I think that it's funny that he started well, I mean, out he regret like this. It? I mean, no, f-
1: I mean, part of life I, is, ma- I, is making mistakes. I don't think he probably doesn't regret it, nor do I think really should he. He's clearly and grown I, as a person. Never stop growing.
0: We would have all figured it out by now if Nick Cave was anti-Semitic, and yeah, uh, he's not. And I don't think I would. I don't know about all the ba- the Bad Seeds members, but I would argue that most of them seem like they're more so just concerned with creating art and creating music. You know, you had Mick Harvey and um, Roland S. Howard working on this song "Faint Heart," and then last week on Sonny's Burning." Um, And then look at the, it's worth noting the bands that were sort of, if you look at uh, the similar artists on Spotify for the birthday party, first couple hits are Suicide, The Fall, Pere Ubu, Swans, Magazine, Wire, Bauhaus, Gang of Four, and Big Black. So Big Black's actually a a great one. Big Black's a weird one. I think that the point I'm making is that Swans was pushing the boundaries at that time with like how you made how you would rupture together post punk with harsh noise and ambient music as well as like folk and like you know sort of singer songwriter stuff with like really heavy shit and then you had like Bauhaus who was doing this kind of like I wouldn't say they would be like horror punk but they definitely had sort of a tinge of like they were
1: definitely the, you know, the godfathers of that genre. There'd be no Misfits without Bauhaus, I wouldn't think.
0: And yeah, so Gang of Four. Actually, they
1: probably started around the same time, but, you know, very similar yeah. aesthetically, if not obviously not. Just music.
0: because a band is going on the same time as you doesn't mean you can't be influenced by it. I mean, and then you have bands like Wire and Gang of Four who were paving their own way for music. So I'm not saying that all of these bands were using any kind of problematic iconography, but.
1: They they weren't, but yeah. this it's a great point, Jake, because I think that's why you get post-punk. And Birthday Party was not offensive like some of these other bands were talking about. I mean, I don't know the li- lyrics to all their songs, but I don't really think they ever said anything offensive. There's the swastika that we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. specifically, but they I don't think they were trying to be offensive in that way like some other punk bands. But my point is, I think all these bands quickly realized this Sex Pistols way of just trying to burn shit down and offend everyone wasn't going to last. So instead of pushing the boundaries that way, let's be like The Fall. Let's be like The Birthday Party. Let's be like Bauhaus and push the boundaries artistically.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that we tried to do in uh, our—Ian and I were in a band called Via Animo back in the late 2000s, early 2010s— I even remember, I think our goal was to push people away from liking us because we would not always play our songs all the way through. Like we would run around and scream and like Ian would just run out into the crowd with a microphone and just like, there was an element of like, we didn't care what we were doing. We were just doing what, you know, we were just trying to be. We were trying to be I think there was an element of irony, but also we were just being ourselves and I think in that moment the birthday party was just like, Fuck it, let's put it on the cover and the rest is history.
1: We were angsty kids. We were like, you know, we'd almost rather turn people away than bring people in. You know, and always it's be really in teenagers doing it's that. It's
0: in you have songs like Stagger Lee and all of murder ballads, which are super fucked up lyrically. But that didn't get us talking as much as the like a symbol did, you know. So let's move on to
1: Faint Heart. We're doing two birthday party episodes in a row. One because it was just so fun last week to kind of get more uh, out there talking about things like this, not having to be so specific, and two because there is the uh, Release the Bats compilation. Uh, I think you can find it in most streaming services where different bands covered birthday party songs. And Melt Banana, who's an awesome, like, noise, pop-punk, crazy band from Japan, covered this song, Faint Heart. And we've both been on a Melt Banana kick lately. So we're like, let's let's get a chance to talk about this cover. And yeah, so we're doing Faint Heart. Where do you want to start with this?
0: It stands uh, that my re- on my research skills that I had, I, I like didn't assume that Melt Banana was Japanese, but they're Japanese. So while we were prepping for the episode, I was like, "Yeah, I couldn't understand anything they were saying." And Ian was like, "Oh well, aren't they a Japanese band? They were just, they were just singing the vocals in Japanese." So I felt really stupid in that moment. But um, I think, well, you know, to me, to me, they are so
1: like. They are so Japanese. Like, assume, Like even if there wasn't vocals, I feel like it would sound so Japanese to me. It's just so, like, what I think of, and maybe this is, like, stereotypical, but when I think of Japanese culture, it's, like, fast-moving and spastic and, yeah. you know, big energy. And I feel like it's everything Melpanena is.
0: See, coming from a background, like, where I, like, I, I used to listen to this Italian screamo band called Rayin, where... All I did when I sang along to that music was like I've up, I've trow, ah! like I didn't know the words, like I just like yeah. screamed like so I, I, I don't know that's that's beside the point. Um, I think where, where we can start here is the Melt banana covers really good, and this might be a hot take. I don't think this song is a very good song. I like the cover a lot. I like what they do with the song, but I don't think the song's very good.
1: I I think this song's great because it's so... When I hear this song, it it reminds me of, like, Weird Black Flag or, like, the last couple songs Minor Threat did when they were starting to get kind of weird. Like, I don't even know if this feels like a birthday party song. It feels like 80s hardcore, like, American, like, weirdo 80s American hardcore. Almost like, this could be a Bad Brain song. Like, this could be... I don't know. It just it. It feels like something different than the birthday party is, but it's something I really like.
0: To me, it sounds like a TSOL B side.
1: Yeah, and I don't but know if, if I, I don't even know if any of them were into that kind of like early '80s weirdo hardcore. I kind of doubt that they were. I think it's just probably by coincidence it has that feel, but mm-hmm. it's something I'm super into. I would love. If there were more Nick Cave songs with this vibe. But uh, Mel Panina covering The Birthday Party is like the most perfect marriage of two bands. Yeah. It's so, like, aesthetically, sonically, just like everything, it makes so much sense. And they knock it out of the park.
0: That I do agree with 100%. Really, really the perfect band to cover this song.
1: I think the. Like the thing you want to do when you cover a song is you want to make it at least to me, you want to make it sound like you could have written the song, like your band could have. It could have been your song, you know. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. it 100% sounds like it'd be a Melvynina song. You wouldn't be like, oh man, this sounds like it might be a cover. Like if you didn't know the birthday party song, you wouldn't bat an eye at it. They totally made it sound like a Melvynina song,
0: which is another adds to my list of bands that can cover a song and make the song better, but also it can kind of stand on its own as a like Melt Banana could cover that live and I don't think it would it would be in their sound, it would fit their like aesthetic to cover a song like that.
1: So I guess we should have done this a couple of minutes ago, but for anyone listening, if you're not familiar with Melt Banana, if you like the birthday party I can't see you not liking Melt They are like, Mm -hmm. I think they're a two-piece from Japan. They, you know, kind of like the birthday party. They just push how noisy things can go. But the thing about them is they're catchy as hell. Like, it's not like lightning bolt. It's not like punishing. It's always really catchy. But they push, like, how noisy you can be while still being melodic. And I think they're geniuses. I listened to them a lot in high school. For some reason, a lot of ska bands would always like wear Melpanina shirts or like shout them out. I don't know what the connection is with ska music and Melpanina. But uh, after singing enough, I decided to check them out. And I forgot about them for years until Jake uh, sent me a song of theirs from a newer album. And I've been like Fetch. obsessed with that album for the past couple of months. Yeah, Fetch.
0: Yeah, that's a great uh, running album. It's a great. It's really just. It's just a really awesome, like, really fun record, and it's like it's fun, kind that's, of like that's,
1: uh, if the birthday party instead of being scary, their like mo was to be fun, it would be Melvin. A. Yeah,
0: that's that's a okay so. We already covered Melt Banana being like a Japanese band. Um, and there's some interesting stuff online about like their roots in punk and, you know, Aphex Twin being one of their influences. And it looks like even um, Blixa of Bargeld's off, off, uh, offshoot band, Einster Zende New is named as an influence. Um, but they even cited, like, video games like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, Echo the Dolphin, Demon's Souls, and Shadow of the Colossus. So that's kind of neat. And even, like, I Lydia mean, Lunch.
1: If you, uh, if anyone is a fan of Splatoon, the video game, I think the music yeah. in Splatoon just sounds like a toned-down version of Melvinia. It's definitely video so,
0: game music. So you saying that the birthday party is scary is actually – it had, like, kind of a clicking moment for me because – in the way that I feel like Nick Cave, like, tried to feel scary on, like, the earlier Bad Seeds records, like, um, mm-hmm. from Her to Eternity, I think has some, like, residual from Birthday Party, and then you get to... Um, your it's funeral not my on Tender parade It's on an early one. Your, your Funeral My Trial, that's the one. So you kind of move into that era, and he still has this kind of eerie, like, creepy... He's like a creepy Neil Young. And um well, I don't know if Neil Young, but as far as like a so- singer-songwriter, ballad writer, I think that that would be somewhat yeah. a decent comparison. I think
1: that's a good a good comp.
0: So this song Faint Heart as a birthday party song is the scariest sounding Nick Cave song? Like I think scarier than The Mercy Seat, I would say, and even more so than the sort of tongue- in cheek like campiness of murder ballads because it's really hard i I wasn't sure if we should have brought this up in the episode but it was really hard to find lyrics for this song online and even the lyrics are still pretty hard to follow on the recording um and then sort of in line with Sonny's burning there you can tell this is this album was or this song was on Haw, which was basically a boys was it boys next door record and then they changed their name to the birthday party and there's just this really like this real sense of like creativity and like sort of embracing chaos that this song just feels so like it's got that like like ian was saying like that punk kind of poppiness to it with the which translates really well to the melt banana cover because it just turns into like a almost too like grindy. Like, like I can just imagine people losing their shit, you know, Ian's like stage diving, like breaking people's heads open with his space helmet. But, uh, they make
1: that guitar line like so fun. I mean, it's what melt banana does to everything, but I'm sitting Mm -hmm. here and you're talking about the song. I'm just realizing more and more how weird it is in, like, the canon of his music. Because you, mm-hmm. like, singing that guitar line, that sounds like the Descendants are, like, bad religion to me. Yeah. So not in a cave.
0: Yeah, it's it stands out. And, and, and that's and, and, part and why I, just, I like it so much. And I just want to clarify that it's not a bad song. Like, when I say it's not very good, I think... It reminds me of a band that's learning how to play their instruments together. And I think it reminds me of when Via Animo was writing, and we wrote this one song where my guitar riffs were completely like out of tune, but the bass and the drums were really driving. And I had this one part where I just turned the wah pedal all the way back, and it was just me, like, scratching and, like, kind of, like, oh, playing yeah. around. But it sounded really cool. And that's what this song reminded me of is, like, that sort of early so, stages so, like, of being in a band.
1: Would you say, like, kind of, like, self-indulgent? Like, you can be when you're young because you don't, like, know any better. Yeah, it's, just kind of.
0: It's fun. It's really, like, like it, even though it's. I think that it'd be better if they would remaster these. And I didn't look very well to see if it is remastered. But I didn't find anything on YouTube. I, I could not find anything. it's remastered. Because I mean, the it would probably mixes have to be on these songs are awful. Good. Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I, yeah. I don't think there's any saving. It, it's gonna sound how it's gonna sound.
0: But that being said, I sort of tried to embrace the recording quality, so I just turned my speakers up a little more, and that helped it sound a little bit better. Just make it loud. <laughs> but that middle part where and it, and it and it sort of carries through the song but where the saxophone comes in and it just sounds like like it just kind of sounds like a moan or a wail. um yeah that was really cool that was really well done um and then the sort of i think the song is probably known for that i and think especially a with cave
1: on saxophone is it really i think it that's is cool on oh, discogs I got he's the... credited as his saxophone on the album
0: yep yep i see that here that's cool i i did not notice that when i was reading through this last night so i never knew he probably right now. or he had just had a saxophone in the studio and he was like fuck it that's, let's put uh, it in there
1: probably pretty likely yeah
0: which which I, I don't know he's so much of a multi-instrumentalist now at like 60 that i i believe that nick K like i'm i know that there's probably books about him that exist that talk about his early life but The guy had to have been making music and art, like, his entire life. Like, he's just so prolific. Like, those kinds of people were always just, like, had their fingers in Play-Doh and shit. And they were, like, you know, making stuff from when they were kids. So, anyway, um, I think what's most striking about this song that works even better with Melt Banana is that break in the middle where it's just pure chaos. And I'd love to know what the recording environment was like for this record because... This song was probably really chaotic for whoever was recording this, whoever was producing it, because I don't know if you saw this, but they almost were they played it for their manager at the time for um, Keith Glass, and he almost dropped them because he was like not into the record at all. Like it says here. Boys Next Door transferred to the independent label Missing Link Records and took on label owner Keith Glass as their manager. Cave said, we played Hee Haw to, okay, sorry. So they played it to Michael Gudinski of Mushroom Records and he wasn't really interested. So you got to imagine like trying to sell this record to a label back then. Like this is a weird fucking record. And this is like, this is like the late 70s. There was, this was like talking heads were coming into prominence. Like this was a weird, this was a newer, weirder sound.
1: Yeah, but Talking Heads, I mean even the first Talking Heads record is so much more polished than this. Oh yeah. Like even yeah, the yeah. earliest of yeah. the Talking, you know.
0: But that's what uh, makes this interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean the if it wasn't for that like weird silent br- breakdown thing in the middle, that's what makes it sound like a birthday party song. Yeah. Cuz up until then it's not that weird other than like the weird noisy ancillary side stuff. I imagine and- that's probably something that, like, breakdown, mm-hmm. I imagine that's something they wrote in the song to do live, and they would stretch it out as long as it took for, like, the crowd to, like, get restless, and yeah. they go back in. So I imagine, like you said, recording it was probably pretty hard, because it's hard to decide how long to make a freeform thing like that last.
0: Well, kind of going back to what you said on uh, Sonny's Burning, is this song like if if you were if i could do two ratings this would be like a 10 out of 10 song to see in 1979 when they were first yeah. playing because with that ability for them to just improvise and stretch out that chaos like unorganized section in the middle as soon as you hear that they can just like the crowd just i can just imagine crowds like punk crowds back then in Australia and when they were touring, like just losing their minds. Cause it's a mosh song. It's really just a thrashy like mosh song. Like this is like, it could be an anthrax or a Metallica rift riff.
1: It could be, it is. I mean, shout out to Roland Howard. He's just a great guitar player. I mean, like you said, this sounds like someone who's young playing guitar, but with so much
0: talent. So catchy. And like I said, All of these, all of the performances on this song are good. This isn't a great song, but it's only because if I'm ranking it in like with all of the other Nick Cave songs we've discussed and even other birthday party songs, I don't think this is the most polished. I think this song is really interesting. and um, That's a good word. I mean,
1: even in terms like the birthday party stuff is all pretty bad recording quality,
0: and this is like mm -hmm. worse than most of it. If we had put out a record that sounded like this, this this probably would have been my favorite record we put out because this would have been this just seems very like unhinged and honest and I think you know the reason that scrams and you know the more like screamy emotional music appealed to me is it was always pretty poorly recorded and when you saw it live it was always like really loud like I remember the first time I saw Loma Prieta I couldn't hear anything for, like, an hour after I watched them because they played so loud.
1: Yeah, it's definitely part of—I mean, just any sort of, like, extreme music is the volume. It's part of why I've never been into a lot of that kind of stuff because I hate a band that plays too loud. Hate it. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, if I don't have earbuds, I can't—I le- I'll. I would leave, like, especially it's, now because I've like, had doctors. see the It's the most old man part of my personality. If a band's too loud, I don't know. I'm like that too. I also don't like long late shows anymore. Like, if I'm at a show past like ten thirty, it's I'm not. I don't like it. Like, I'm ready to go to bed. It had be like a fest. For you, yeah, that's like one thirty. You know, you've already had your. I'm fine if it shows over by midnight,
1: twelve thirty. But I don't want any bar shows that are going until two a.m.
0: Yeah, it's more so bar shows and that's basically like everything in San Diego is like kind of becomes a bar show like there's not a lot of venues that are just like punk venues like we used to have in Louisville. There's like there's like house shows, but obviously those aren't happening right now. Yeah, the Che anyway, Cafe. The Oh yeah, shake Cafe, shout out. That was one of the best shows I went to and it was like I saw my friend play in a Devo cover band and I think I saw a couple other Cool cover bands that night. Um, it's been a couple years since that. Shout out Patrick. He was in that. Uh, he was in that band. The only other thing I was going to bring up about this song is that there's some interesting um, production going on. Whether or not it just happens to be that the guy recording them or they produced them producing it, like members, like the core members of the band didn't really know what they were doing. But there's some interesting like playing with like, sound qualities, like, in the beginning of this song, you can kind of hear, like, kind of a oh, weird yeah. filtering effect.
1: What? What is that?
0: That's what I, I mean, yeah, I'm glad you asked. I don't really know, but based on my, like, you know, I don't know about recording, like, you know, Mike does, but I think that it could have been a weird signal issue, and maybe they had recorded it, through a bad input jack, and maybe somebody was stepping on the input before they started the song, and then that just—it mm-hmm. could have been anything. I think though, it sounds too much like a, an effect that was added during recording. I think they probably had a filter or maybe a delay pedal or something.
1: It sounds like you know you see some bands in the like—they'll unplug the input jack of the guitar, oh. and like, re- like do it real fast. That's but it's that's too what it fast. is. It, it's too, I think it's too fast. Like, It's happening too fast for it to have been that. Well, but it sounds like that. Then what they were probably doing
0: a, was they were messing with the pickups. So they were moving the pickup uh, thing. That's what it was, 100%. Yeah, you're right. Because um, right. you can do that really fast. Well, I was fast. like,
1: it can't be a digital Like, It's too early to be a digital effect. Yeah. Because now, you know, tons of like Aphex Twin type projects do stuff like that. But Oh, man. There was no there was no digital effects then i mean i don't think
0: studios in the late 70s were still pretty advanced with what you could do but they weren't at all like i mean Aphex twin was making music in the late 80s early 90s when like i don't even know if ableton was out by then if it was it was out in like a really early form but like if you were making synth music back then you were programming it on a on a machine and running it into an eight track player mm-hmm. or something but yeah, I don't have much more to say about this song. I think we covered it, plus a little extra. Um I don't think this is like I don't think this is like a groundbreaking birthday party song, but it was really fun to hear Melt Banana cover it. And they added they they actually enhanced it so much that it's like it almost kind of makes you think of it like when you listen back to the birthday party song, it's like How cool is it as songwriters at that age and time that a band could cover them, you know, 20 years later and completely reinvent the sound where it's like at the time Nick Cave and them weren't probably making a grindcore song. But this is basically what grindcore sounded like in the mid 2000s.
1: And they had no way to know.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's kind of why we're doing a podcast about all this stuff is that. Music and culture and, you know, everything is constantly consuming itself and, you know, regurgitating what was happening in the 80s with a new coat of paint on it. And I think that, you know, punk now has sort of moved into, you know, rap. And I think that pop music and, Mm. you know, Blood Orange and even like Moses Sumney and... Like that kind of stuff is almost has more like Anoni, a like all that stuff almost has more of a punk energy to it than, you know, what Birthday Party was. If if there was a band like Birthday Party now, you know, it's I feel like Anoni and those kind of people are more so the the punks of the era. Like they're pushing the boundaries with digital music because that's kind of the thing now. Whereas back then it was like, well, you got a guitar, you got a bass, you got a, a keyboard player, and you got a whole bunch of feedback and like this is what you can do it's true
1: anyway it's it's crazy like punk is such a loose uh idea that you can apply it to like you can really make an argument to apply it to like literally anything you know
0: yeah that's why whenever we like something and it's punk rock we say it's punk raw (laughs) that's true uh
1: i I did want to mention earlier that the comp that the covers on the first track it's pretty good. It's by a band called uh, The Plot to Destroy the Eiffel Tower. You ever heard of them, Jake? I have not. Sounds cool. They're from San Diego, a noisy San
0: Diego. That's cool. There must be – there's like a long line of like noisy bands from San Diego. Isn't Drive Like Jehu from San Diego?
1: It all starts with Drive Like Jehu. It all starts with my boy John Rice, my favorite guitar player.
0: Great guitar player. So I'm going to give this His song – closed. Ooh. Because of COVID. Sorry to hear that. Y'all could have worn your masks and this would all have been over like six months ago as opposed to being over in six months. I would say I would give this song a six out of ten. And I'd give the Melt Banana song an eight out of ten. The Melt Banana cover, I should say. I'll give the
1: song, I think like a 7.5 out of ten. Like it's a great idea. The idea of the song is Mm -hmm. so good. But the execution Mm -hmm. isn't. But like I was saying earlier I would kill to see like Bad Brains do this or something. Um, it's one
0: of those rare moments where you where the idea of a song is so good and they just weren't at a level where they could uh carry it through the way it could have been and I think mm-hmm. that's what I was saying earlier is like you can tell there's just yeah. so much potential it's like it's like when you like if you were like to go to be a stand-up comedian or you see some guy play Like, he opens up a show, at like, a house show, and he, like... It's, like, so cool because he's, like, doing everything by himself, but it's not quite there yet. But you can, like, see how it could be if he kept working on it for a couple more years. It's like that. Mm.
1: The Melt Banana cover is, like... I mean, I think it's, like, a 9 or a 10 out of 10. Like, it does everything you could want to do in a cover. It makes the song better. It sounds like Melt Banana. Yeah. I mean... It's the best cover on that compilation by far to me it's fucking great shout out to Melpanana what I'm yeah. gonna do here Jake uh, mm-hmm. no one Melpanana HQ don't get mad at me we have the utmost respect for you we'd love to have you on even if it's in Japanese and it's just really weird and unlistenable the interview I'm gonna, I'm just gonna play the Melpanana song here in full at the end so people can hear it
0: oh that's a good idea there's probably a lot of people and who If anyone wants us to take it down, gonna, we'll take it down. If you haven't li- if you haven't read it yet, check out the Red Hand Files that Nick just posted as of today. We're recording this on March 5th. He just put a Red Hand Files out about White Elephant, a little bit of background there. Oh yeah, it was sweet. Um those are always a nice highlight of the week, even if he only answers in, like, four- or five-word answers. Like, it's always just cool to see him interact with his fans. Um, so check that out. Check us out at Jubilee Pod at gmail.com. Love you all. Good night. I got, I got, I got, I got...